Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of Silver and Sensational. You might know me from last season. I'm Jessica Linverty, the producer of this show, and with me is the host of your show, Lois Mills. Hello, everyone. It is I, the one and only Lois Mills, back welcoming you for another season of Silver and Sensational. Oh, it's you are so sensational, Lois. And if you remember <laughs> season one, we had Tom, who was your co-host. And this season, I'm going to be your co-host. Now, I'm not silver. I'm not sensational. Oh, all I the beg time. to differ with that. Well, depending right, on most your definition. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm not. You know, we can get my boyfriend's opinion on that. Uh, but I am a huge fan of yours. And one of the things we wanted to do this season was really let you shine. And I think I'm the best person to help you do that. So I'm basically going to be the audience of for you. Well, and you represent a lot of the young women that I've had in my life and still have in my life and uh, love having in my life. So maybe more of you will join the Silver and Sensational group. Yeah, I think that was one of the first things I learned from you and understood from you just intrinsically was that younger women flock to you to kind of go, how, how, how do I turn into you? How can I grow up to be you? <laughs> right, so, just like me. Well, you know, or the cautionary tales. No, but you you said that you love to mentor women. I, yeah, I find do. a lot of what you have gone through fascinating. I know our audience will. Um, and on another level, I didn't even realize, I should have realized, you're just like all of my Italian aunts. Because, I, I mean, I'm not even full Italian, but I was raised like I was. So okay. You really, you really got the ball breaking down that I love, that I, down that I, that I envy. hat. Stones. So, stones so, is how they're referred to. <laughs> you're right. This, the, we, the, you break some stones. You're not afraid to break some stones, some geodes. So <laughs> now, Tom does not leave us with, with nothing. He has a note that he wants to share with everyone about how wonderful season was, one was. So I'm going to read that now. Tom said, uh, I'm so excited to watch and listen to Lois as she takes the reins of Silver and Sensational. When Lois came to me a year ago and asked if I would help her start her journey into the world of podcasting videos, I couldn't say yes fast enough. I have been such a friend, fan, and champion of Lois and her sensational life. I knew that she would be a natural and that the world would love her, her stories, her wisdom, and most of all, her humor. And the success of Silver and Sensational proved me right. I now get to step back and watch Lois soar to new heights. Take flight, my friend. Uh, the one and only, our Tom Burke, who has been the wind beneath my wings from a Bette Midler song. He has supported every single thing I've wanted to do with such generosity, never expecting anything in return. And um, I wouldn't be doing this today if it weren't for Tom. He's and one of those gifted people that sees what you're capable of. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I call him a conduit. He sees he sees what you're good in, good with, and knows how to plug you into the places. Yes. And that's how we know each other. He's been 
pivotal in my life as well, Lois, and has helped me change it several times over. And and he's no slouch himself, so... No, uh, he's got some good street creds. He certainly does, so... So the season one of Silver and Sensational is available. There's still some really wonderful content. And this year, or this season, we're going to get advice straight from... I was going to say the horse's mouth, but that sounds really derogatory. We're going to get the advice from our low. And so we thought the best way about this new chapter was to get to know the low, which is actually my favorite phrase now is getting to know the low. <laughs> so we're just going to do a full but short version of Lois's life leading up to today. How's that sound, Lois? Well, it sounds scary to me because it's really opening myself up to basically sure. the world. But I think uh, what I'm trying to do with giving you uh, as much of my background as I can in a concise fashion is to really um, maybe find something in my life that you can relate to. And if there's any adversity that you've experienced and perhaps I've done as well and I have been able to overcome it, it will encourage you to do so and also to know that no matter what your beginnings are and where you are now, it's only where you want to be going that you need to be worrying about or mm. thinking about, not worrying, but having a focus on. So with that, I begin my more than humble beginnings in Chicago some 70 plus years ago. Growing up in a poor neighborhood, except I didn't know I was poor because everybody around me was in the same boat. So there really wasn't anything to compare it to. Um, my mother was and there wasn't media the same way, right? There wasn't media that saying, oh, you are poor, or here's what you need to do oh, in order honey, to... There were, three, <laughs> there were three TV channels, two, five, and seven. Uh, nine came later, which was um, local. But, uh, and then eventually PBS on 11. But, oh my goodness. Uh, you know, being very, very young, um, there were just three. And as I say, my mother was a working mother and I was a latchkey kid. And for any Chicagoan of a certain generation, you might remember um, a woman who had a program for children that came on at 9 a.m. Uh, her name was Miss Francis. And so Miss mm. Francis had 25 minutes of entertaining for children. And then at 9.25, she'd say, okay, children. I remember she didn't say children as children. It was something like children, go get your mother. Well, since my mother wasn't there, I'd go into the bedroom and scream at my brother, get up, get up, get up, Richie, get up. Miss Francis wants mom and you're the mom. Get up, get up. <laughs> oh <my laughs> Needless God. to say, my brother, who loves sleeping more than anything, never got up. But um, that was the beginning of learning what it's like to be a latchkey kid. And, you know, um, 
I must have caused so much anxiety too. No, listen. You know what? Again, you only know what you know. You know, there isn't a, you know, it was the way things were. So at the time, I really didn't know of any other classmate whose uh, mom worked. And so for until I was about in, I think until third grade, uh, I had lots of aunts and uncles that lived I, pr- I had five of them from the school to my house. So uh, I went to the closest one after school and for lunch, because we did go home for lunch in those days. And uh, then in third grade, I started to go home myself for lunch and then make lunch and then go back to school and then go back home wow. after school. Now, by today's standards, children's services would be called in for this. <laughs> Lois, but, do you do you? We weren't even allowed to walk the half a block to our elementary school. Mm-hmm. I, I, now, granted, this is also a product of too much news. My parents all of a sudden learning what it was like for kids walking down the street by themselves. So my, you know, and we drove. We didn't. My mom didn't even walk our asses there. So I can't. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine trying to figure out cooking on a rainy day or whatever, tomato soup and grilled, ch- I can't even, fi- I can't oh, well, even no, 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 uh, you know, actually, uh, I was not allowed to use the stove. So mm. lunch, lunch was, you know, a sandwich. Sure. Uh, sure. so yeah, no, couldn't use wow. the stove. And, um, but I had responsibility for locking the door And I was just talking to a very dear friend today about the difference in kids today. She just dropped off her child to uh, college. And um, difference is, is, you know, even though maybe parents today are much more protective, they have more reason to be because there's a lot more danger than what existed when I was a kid. We didn't have, you know, the kind, as you say, the news of people and I was very aware of danger I was a frightened little girl I mean you know I could go I would go um Friday nights Friday after school at four o'clock I would wait for the bus to take me to dance class and there was a factory across the street from the dance uh, from the bus stop and I was just so frightened of the men that came out of there that I stuck a hat pin in the back of my shoe to in case somebody came after me now all of this sounds really horrific and you know all this kind of thing but you know and um and and that was just the physical part of you know being um with a mom a working mom the right. emotional and, and the other part of a, of a mother who really probably shouldn't have been a mother uh, mm. was far more damaging. Now, I like to say I have succeeded in life because of my mother and in spite of her. So with that kind of background, you see, I learned self-sufficiency, resilience, and mainly, given what my life turned out to be, how to be alone. So I really have um, 
the ability and have had for the better part of my life those necessary survival skills to be a woman who does not need a man to take care of her uh, or to give her a life. So I'm not sure if my early existence um, has much to do with the fact that I've spent most of my life alone or if because of my early existence, I have found it easier to spend most of my life alone. Sure. Haven't answered that question yet. It, but, it also feels a little like a chicken in the egg because it is I, what it, happened. I, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. But that's a whole nother story, little childhood <sighs> things there, a whole nother story, which, you know, we'll get to hopefully sometime. This yeah, season. I mean, I'm already seeing the the need for a mom episode because it's no surprise (laughs) i know i know believe me believe me but it's no surprise i mean any anybody with the you know with decent eyesight could see didn't have what you needed in a mother decided to give what you have to younger women it's very interesting that juxtaposition yes and also Someone one who knew me very well said, I basically raised myself, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think I did. But as I said, that's not only a whole nother story. There's lots of stories from the beginning of time there. But I, my birthday is the end of summer, mm. and... I wanted financial independence because I hated having my mother hang over my head. No, you can't, you can't, you can't. So I... Especially because she wasn't doing enough for you as a, a, you know, and then she has the audacity. I altered my birth certificate so that I could get... Oh, yeah. Well, it was easy in those days, you know, a little... (laughs) So... You just eat number uh, two pencil and eraser. Actually, was on papyrus. <laughs> <laughs> you sure they didn't etch it into the wall? <laughs> it, was, it was great. Exactly. Exactly. But, <laughs> so I got this summer job where all the girls got summer jobs mm. in the neighborhood. And it was a factory that printed Christmas cards that they sold in these big books that you see in stationery stores where you go and order Christmas cards and says, you know, from the family of. Ah, Well, my first job was on an assembly line. Now, mind you, it is summer. It is hot. There's no air conditioning, obviously. And this conveyor belt runs along, and there's a pot of glue with two paintbrushes and you stuck it in and you smashed it on the card and the envelope and you placed it just so on the page and then that book went down to the next person. Needless to say, this was big life lesson. You ain't ever going to have a job like this again in your life, so you better get your act together. Imagine... (laughs) 
changing your birth certificate to get a big fancy job and then this is the one you got. Well, That's and amazing. then wait, wait till you hear this. Now that I had money, <laughs> I had I went to a parochial school. So I had to pay. What is a parochial school? I'm sure Well, this some was an all-girls Catholic school. I had to pay for that year's tuition, and I had to pay for uniform, and I had to pay for books. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the fact that I worked all summer long to have some money, it all went to school. When I wanted to move to a public school, I said, listen, if I've got to pay for this, ma, then yeah. I'll go to public school. Well, you know, again, this was not, you know, my, my household was not the kind of household in which you had a discussion with your mother of what you wanted because what you wanted didn't make a damn bit of difference. So I went to parochial school that year, and that was, yeah. So... The following year, I worked two jobs. The daytime, because after school, then I took a job in working at the supermarket as a checker because I was union and I could get a dollar and a quarter an hour instead of the 75 cents everybody else was getting. Bulls. Yes. So during the day, I took a job in, um, and in the summer as a secretary. And then I'd walk home in my high heels, have dinner, change into the red and white checked uniform, and then walk to get to the other job to check out until 9 o'clock at night, and then worked all day Saturday there. So I accumulated enough money to um, get a car and insurance, and then... I went on to, I didn't have money to go away to school, so I went to a city school, but once again, mother wanted her money, so of the $50 that I made, I needed to give her $35 room and board. How old were you? 18. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And so I I know other people have these kind of stories. I know they do. Oh no, listen, this is just the way she was. I mean, this is the way she was because I had, um, I had cousins who, um, well, my one cousin, brother and sister, he was, he's two years older than me and she was two years younger than me you know, they didn't have to do any of this stuff. Uh, You know, these were my mother's issues. And And by that age, you kind of saw that no one else was going through this, right? Like at a certain point, there was a turning point. Not then. Not then. Um, I resented it. I resented the control, you know. And, Mm -hmm. of course, I did what any stupid young woman would do, I found, I found a way to get out. And that brings me to getting married.
read. <laughs> oh, I understand. I was going to say, well, no, getting out isn't that. I understand. Men rarely solve the problem, Lois. <laughs> Which I will discuss in detail as we go on. Yes. But suffice it to say that being my marriages are not among my more successful stories of my life. Um, two and a half marriages. Which I love that, and we are going to talk about that. I remember when we were recording the first season and you said two and a half, my jaw dropped, and yet it's that simple sentence that it, 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 that's you in a nutshell, that, that sentence right there. Well, you know, the first marriage... Um, boy, he was sort of handpicked by my mother to take over where she left off. Uh, And yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Did we love him or did we get forced onto him? Um, let me put it this way. So, the night before marriage... We were having a rehearsal and a rehearsal dinner. And he was in night school. And he not only did not make it to the rehearsal, he never made it to the rehearsal dinner. Mm. So I remember sitting in my car telling my brother, I don't want to get married. And he said, no, you just got the last minute jitters. Everybody goes through this. You know, it's just, you're just. And I kept, I could picture myself sitting next to him now and saying, no, you know what? This is a mistake. This isn't right. He said, you're really just having last minute jitters. And I just didn't understand why everybody else's boyfriend seemed to act like a boyfriend. And my boyfriend slash fiance didn't. It turned out as a husband, he didn't either. So we got married, although I will tell you, I had a 10 o'clock mass at 9.30. The bridesmaids had been picked up. My mother had left for the church, and I didn't have my dress on. I didn't have my veil on, and I was painting my nails. And I remember standing at the back of that church And saying to myself, you know what? If it doesn't work, I'll get a divorce. Wow. Wow. Which no one was talking about then. I mean, Mm. there were two people you knew that got divorced, and everyone had an opinion about that at the time. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you might as well. I mean, it was in an Italian family, it was tantamount to murder. I mean, they didn't make a, they didn't make a distinction, you know. <laughs> so, oh my God! Anyway, we married, and he then decided he wanted to go back to school for a time. And at the very same time, I was given an opportunity to either get a job working for the now defunct Eastern Airlines, where a perk would be um, travel, which, of course, at that time, if you don't have money, a perk of travel isn't very interesting. 
or the automobile business in which I would get a car, and that really made a difference. Mm-hmm. So I took on doing that, and it ended up where, you know, I worked like 12 hours a day, an hour back and forth um, to work because I had literally no money. There was a faster way to go, but the tollway was... Um, 35 cents. Mm. I didn't have 70 cents. 70 cents made a big deal, and I'd get home after working 12 hours, and there he'd be sleeping on the fucking sofa. (sighs) And, you know, dishes from the day piled up, ratta, ratta, ratta. So, I mean, it was, it it just really wasn't... um, A partnership. It wasn't a... Oh, no, no, this was absolutely no partnership whatsoever. Right. And I hung in there, and then um, my first major traumatic event in my life took place, uh, and that is my father got cancer the second time, and this time it was pancreatic and it was terminal. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I remember quite, this is a quick little story uh, My husband, by this time, had finished school, and he was working as a CPA, and he was traveling. And he would go out of town, and he wouldn't bother to call, just what time to pick him up at the airport. Oh, my God. And so I remember he was in Dallas. He was gone for five days, and he called on Thursday night and said, pick me up at such and such time. And I remember saying to him, yes, I'll be there because I want to talk with you. Now, I don't know what it is. I take a lot of, or have, I don't anymore, but I, I take, used to take a lot of crap in my life. And then when I had enough, uh, I never screamed, I never yelled. I did that while I was taking the crap. When I had enough, right. it was something in my tone of voice that made that person know they overstepped it. And so there he is, he arrived. When I picked him up, there he was with an album. And I thought, what the hell is this? And he got in my car. And he was sitting and I was driving. And I remember saying, so, seriously, my dad is dying. And I want him to die knowing that his daughter is taken care of. And so you will live with me and act like a dutiful husband until the day daddy is put in the ground. At the moment that casket is at the cemetery, you will get out of my life. And that was in January. My father died the end of June. The funeral came. We were at the gravesite. I was the last one to leave. Carrie was there. Started to walk to go to the luncheon. He grabbed my arm. I looked at him, took his arm, his hand off my arm, and said to him, I told you six months ago, you are not to come with me now. You will go home. You will pack your bags. And when I get there in two hours, you will be gone. This is. After I put him through school, 
I got repaid by his stealing money from me. Oh, my God. His continuing cheating on me. Oh, Lois. And his being physically abusive. And that was the end. Not the anything, but the fact that my father died. He, I felt he was the only person that loved me. I didn't have to worry that he would be upset with me, disappointed in me, or worse than that, he would die thinking that I uh, was by myself and I could be free of that. So that's it. my dad's passing gave me the courage to leave that marriage. I'm, so marriage number two, uh, we met, I when, uh, making a long story short, I... After my dad died, I was too emotionally upset to keep my job in the automobile business, too much responsibility. Mm. So I took a job in a local shop. It had a pool table and a men's store and a women's store. And so I worked in the ladies' store. I, I stopped for a while when I came back. These two wonderful women True Jewish mother said, mm. we'd love you back in our department, but you'll never meet anyone here. We want you to go in the men's department where you'll meet somebody. And that's how I met husband number two, of Holy which... Holy moly. Yes, of which I was his wife number three. He left number one for a very glamorous number two, and number two <laughs> left him for a very glamorous husband. And for, I really had a good life. Uh, Now, here was a marriage of good partners. We were really good partners. Perhaps not fabulously passionate uh, relationship, but there was... A regard and respect for one another. He had, you know, again, I, you know, he had a lot of baggage, ex-wives, children, alimony, elderly parents. It was a lot of baggage. You know, I didn't have kids. My ex-husband was completely out of the picture. Uh, my family never got involved in, you know, in any of my stuff. But anyway, it went on. We lived together three years. We were married for 10. So after 13 years, we moved into this wonderful, beautiful apartment uh, on top of Neiman Marcus in Chicago. Wow! And he, um, at this time, I, I... wasn't working. And so when he would go to work in the morning, he would leave these little post-its with a smiley face and I love you. Yeah. And then one night he came home after doing this and he said, I want a divorce. (gasps) (laughs) No, (laughs) that's a sex in the city episode, basically. No kidding. I said, what now? No separation. No, we should see counseling. None of this. He said, no, I want to pursue a more meaningful relationship. That is a quote that has never left my mind. So I had suspected, you know, women know, you really know. We girls. know. Yeah. You know. 
it was about three months that I felt, you know, something was happening. So I said to him, you know, um, you really find somebody you've been seeing for a few months being a more substantial relationship? He said, yes. I said, do you really? He said, yes. I said, well, do you think you're going to be happy? He said, yes. I said, you know what? Go. Now, for all of you out there that think that this was a cavalier statement of my part, on my part, it wasn't. I was in the fetal position for five years after that. But let me tell you the reason why I said go is because I know once a person wants out, whether it's a job or a relationship, and they express this to you, listen to what they're saying, because they're only going to do it again. And I simply could not live with waiting for that other shoe to drop. I think that, that was sense. That was shocking, but you know, I'll tell you, what stayed with me was when he said, I haven't loved you for five years. Oh, my God. That, I think that hit me more than anything because for four years and nine months, I was clueless. And I, you know, the... All these years later, and it is almost the anniversary, the 35th anniversary of that, of his walking out, um, I kind of wonder if it just wasn't his way of being hurtful. And, sure, you know, I mean, if that was the case, why, why get involved in building, you know, an elaborate apartment, None of that. No, makes I, under, sense. I, I, I think you're right. That I, you know what? It makes me wonder. You saying go doesn't make him go. Well, what the hell? You know. Uh, well, I think he we expected. A- you know, my carrying on, and I did carry on. I really did carry on. I, I couldn't stop crying, and as I said, I was in the fetal position. I was numb. Right. I was, you know. And I really um, kind of stayed that way for a number of years. And well, and uh, this was Lois, right? So you told this story before you were replaced oh yes, this by was an older, less attractive re- Lois. <laughs> exactly. So I gave him all of the monogram linens and said, "Godspeed. Nothing changes for you." In your heat of passion, if you scream Lois, she's never going to think it's your ex-wife. So. <laughs> oh, I couldn't even, I couldn't even stomach being her. Let's just put it that way. But, but, the, and that's kind of what we're doing here today is just getting all of this Lois lore so that when we dive deeper into what people are looking for and the advice they're looking for, when they're like, well, how... How did you survive five years? And what was it like when you went to go get that eggplant parmesan? No, it was a, what was it, a roast? Was it, or was it, what did you, what did you have that, oh, meatloaf. Your meatloaf. We have a great meatloaf, meatloaf store. Yeah. That, that, that anyone can relate to. And 
man, it it that's it's just fascinating. So Lois, he he downgrades to a different Lois, the the older downgrades Lois a model. different Lois, and so now I at this time was able to pursue an incredible career, and I'll just finish up by saying. Some 14 years later, I woke up one morning and said, you know, I don't want to be alone anymore. So I did with, you'll excuse me, gentlemen, for saying this, but most of you do this. Whoever was there at the moment is who I took. Wow. And that is my half. I never married him. I found my mother in drag. He... I, I will talk about him at another time, but Holy. he really did a number on me. And um, wow. but there were there there was an upside to having met him, and um, and experiences I would have never had. But um, and you know what? Uh, somebody once told me, you know, it it was. Like no other relationship I had, and that part is true. So, saying all of that, I'll just sure. quickly move on. Although there was nothing quick about those stories. No, I actually the 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 mother and drag. I can't wait till we get to talk about that. <laughs> Holy but shit. truthful. So next. Uh, a bit of my career, I think I mentioned earlier that I was in the automobile business and, um, you know, I, I, I work, I'm a good worker and um, I went from being an office manager to a business manager who pretty much takes care of financing and dealerships and then I, I became the first general manager for a Cadillac dealership, female general, female is the important part, general yes, manager yeah. for a Cadillac dealership in the country. So that was yeah. pretty major and God, crazy things happened there. What great fun, great friends that were made, but things were so crazy that eventually the dealership closed and I was married wow. to my second husband at the time. So I had a few coins saved and I said, you know, I, I really would like to open up. I'd always had a great interest in China and crystal and I wanted to open up a fine China crystal shop, which I did on the North Shore of Chicago. And um, at a time when people weren't really doing tablescapes uh, nor were they mixing and matching dinnerware. And it was such a beautiful store, and it, I was able to really be the creative soul that I have always been but couldn't afford to be. Right. So I've financially afford to be because, you know, unfortunately, artists don't make a lot of money. And so... No. Yeah. <laughs> So I was able to exercise this creative freedom, and it didn't go unrecognized. It um, uh, because I did do a lot of shopping in Europe, 
the European manufacturers would uh, come in for various shows and seminars wow. in Chicago, and they would always come to visit my shop. Wow. And, you know, they'd sit and pick my brains. And, you know, about a year and a half later, if I suggested doing a black band with gold, you know, one of them, there'd be a black band with gold. So I have to tell you, it was, it was to a point where I thought, you know, something's not right with this. And during this time, you know, I've always loved fashion. Oh, and it was known as a fashionista, so... Uh, I designed and manufactured a, um, a very casual knitwear line that just ran out of my store. I mean, we did things like just put up a curtain and women were changing in the middle of the store. To oh I mean, it was God. unbelievable. We had so much fun. And I had the most wonderful women working there. Uh, we, they became... They were my family, basically, but, you know, the truth be told, I don't have a retail personality. <laughs> and so I decided, you know, I can't take, I can't take the pettiness of this. You really need a very people-loving retail personality to do this day in and day out, and I didn't have that. So I thought, why not? sell and become a consultant with dinnerware manufacturers, which is what I did. Wow. And so um, started to do that with some of the people that, you know, had known me as a retailer. And then eventually I opened up a studio and I designed and licensed and worked as a color consultant, design and license, mainly dinnerware, everything for the kitchen and dining room. And I did that t for over 20 years. And I worked um, mainly with the mass merchandisers in those days, you know, Kmart, Target, Walmart. And then um, so I really like lost... you were like Kathy Ireland without the name, basically. Yeah, actually, you know, um, yes, yes. Um, there was a time that I also competed with Martha Stewart for the Kmart wow. business. Wow. So it was a different, you know, those were different times. And uh, then I, re I got a taste of working in the European market, which, oh, uh, this was exactly what I loved. Because by the time I had been doing this for a number of years, 14, 15 years, the whole marketplace had changed, and it was no longer how great something looked, but how much was it selling for, which was out of my hands because I, you know, I didn't set the price. So I had the opportunity to work with European manufacturers and distributors, uh, Selfridges, Ikea, and it was just great. And then a client of mine got the opportunity to uh, came to me and said, I don't have the time to start this up, but I will take a, con a licensing agreement with the Picasso estate if you would agree to get it going. So this Whoa. to me was, I mean, more than a dream come true. I mean, as a 16-year-old girl, I used to take the L down to the Art Institute. Oh, my goodness. To look at, at the Picassos. I can still remember buying... A poster I had in my bedroom of, you know, the man in the blue guitar, 
uh, it, you know, and here I was, are you kidding? It didn't take me two seconds. And he, he didn't know it, but I had done it for nothing. So yes. at this point, I pulled out my two mentors. One mentor lived in Palm Springs and the other one in New York. And I called him and said, I want you to come out of retirement to help me get this started. And they did. And so that was the beginning of four years of my working with the Picasso estate and Claude Picasso. And to my great sadness, I saw four months ago Claude step down from the agency that was the actually the governing agency for making sure that artists got licensing and they didn't their works were not be used it was the same as recording artists have their copyright and he gave it or he stepped down and Paloma became the head and just a couple of days ago I read Claude passed away oh and wow. I have felt so bad just just so bad because it was a time of my life that I really, uh, I had the, I was in You're Europe lighting up all just the talking time. about it. I could just oh, see. Oh, it was, well, it, you know, it, I worked in Paris. I worked in Milan. I worked in Deruta, Italy. I mean, it was, this was very exciting for that little girl who sat on the stoop in a poor neighborhood this was just, you know, this was incredible stuff wow. happening. So wow. anyway, um, it turned out that my client then wanted to take the business over. So I gave that to him and my other business that was still getting royalties from all the merchandise that was out in the world. I sold that and picked up and moved to Palm Beach, Florida. And that's a whole nother story. I'm loving so, this. That was three years and a, of, can't really say it wasn't, you know, I met a lot of people, but the person I talked about, that half person, I yes. met him. Through him, I met a man who was uh, very influential in Los Angeles, and I said, gee, that's where I wanted to move. He said, do you have a realtor? I said, no. He put me in touch with Beverly Sassoon, and the next thing I know, I was looking at houses in Los Angeles. So. Wow. Half Followed me out to Los Angeles. <laughs> we don't even and deign to say his name. I love that. No, half followed me out to Los Angeles. Now, what a fuck. The time that I spent with half was pretty traumatic for me, but the upside is I met the most fabulous people. And I did things with people I would have, you know, presidents, like of the United States, POTUSes. POTUS. Uh, <laughs> POTUS and Company. POTI. Po oh, POTI. <laughs> that's right. POTI. And I had, um, I was uh, 
actually I joined Bel Air Country Club, one of 12 female members. Oh my God. And if I tell you, of 540 members, if I tell you, never did I have so much fun being one of the guys and hobnobbing with celebrities that were like buddies to me. And this is all stuff that, you know. But how that's Italian sh- though too. I think- how does shit like this happen? You did right place, right time. I can't wait to get into it. Exactly. And then I was able to build my dream house on a street in Los Angeles. That the first time I was in Los Angeles, I stayed at the Bel Air Hotel. And I walked out the following morning, started walking up the street and said, Oh my God, what I love to look at these trees, look at these houses. Mm -hmm. I love Wouldn't this be a Fabulous place to live. You can't believe that some 30-odd years later, I bought a house that was a little shitbox falling down, and I built my dream house, my French country farmhouse, and had my two Jack Russells now. From during that time, which brings us up to the last 20-some years, I experienced seven losses in seven years. Just the closest people in my life to me, one after another. And then I had a massive heart attack. So it kind of came full circle, boom, boom, boom. And during that time in L.A., I worked a bit as a, you know, interior designer and, you know, just trying to keep my fingers in things and supporting mentees and... I did goldsmithing and still do, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, it's an online business called Lois Mills Exclamation Point or shoploismills.com. And I, in supporting one of my lovely mentees, who is a delightful young woman who came to me as my nurse after my heart attack, she, very talented, smart young woman, Wanted to um, be an esthetician, did that, and then found her talent in doing uh, tattooing, makeup tattooing. And I said, well, I'll go to school with you. So I did, and I opened up a permanent makeup salon doing tattoos. Have um, eyebrows, but actually I I didn't want to, I just wanted to be able to give back. So we did, um, we became licensed um, medically so that I could tattoo uh, nipples for uh, cancer patients. And, oh, oh, yes. So, God. yeah, I wanted I to do that. I might need you to color my areolas. They're a little light. But, <laughs> <laughs> but your skin's a little light. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then, you know, I wanted, I always wanted to do uh dabble in some kind of acting and then I went to an acting school 
And uh, the woman that owned it said, I want you to meet somebody. And that's how I met our Tom. And I did a commercial with Tom and then I, or Tom, pardon me, not with Tom, but through Tom's influence, I was able to get a job do, and it's a fun commercial because, and it was a national commercial, and I've done well, we'll some be other sure to stuff. Share it on our social yes. media. Yes, yeah, and we'll then, oh, it's so funny. You'll love it. I, I'm a ninety or eighty something or ninety something year old woman marrying a twenty eight year old. Oh, love so it. I'm in all this. It's fun, 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 and so with Tom's uh, wonderful support. Uh, I've written some stories, and now it's come full circle to Silver and Sensational. So here we are. I hope I haven't bored you with yeah, all I, this stuff. Like... And um, promise. I, that, I think you've uh... you've titillated us too much. I think that's <laughs> the problem. If, uh, if if you weren't sold on this being a viable podcast, just listening to all that and and knowing how much we have to talk about it, I've it had is, a wonderful. A I've had a wonderful life. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had ups and downs, of course, like anyone. But, um, you know, as a little girl going to the movies, watching. Doris Day and Rock Hudson and saying, I want to I want to live like that. I have. And I've done pretty much everything I've wanted to do. And I want to share, if I can, share whatever I can in encouraging women and of all ages to enjoy your life fully. And not be dependent on husbands or children to make your life a fulfilling life. So there you have it. I think Lois that's the right. lecturer. <laughs> There's many, many different lows to get to know. I think this whole season is gonna be full of so much of what we talked about. I'm I'm looking forward to learning more about your mom, how you coped with loss changing careers you i mean you you skipped over the most interesting part of like and then i just decided i'll do designing no one has that skill to be shifting careers so i think we're gonna definitely focus on some of those things and you're right this is a podcast for all ages that are looking to handle the transitions and the difficulties in their life with a little bit of humor and a little bit of fuck you attitude and that's lois's mo i think right so Thank you so much for listening. We've got a full season of this. Uh, and will you we... remind everyone, Jessica, that this season I am welcoming questions from our viewers and listeners. We want it. We want it, especially based off of, like, if you want a little bit more detail on something Lois has already talked about, or if you're like, you know what, my half was a piece of shit, or I can't get rid of him, and you want that kind of advice, there's so many different ways you can get a hold of us. The best one is just by emailing us at silverandsensational at gmail.com, but we're also on Facebook, and we're on Instagram, at silverandsensational, and we do need you to like, review, subscribe, do whatever you need to do on whatever platform you're listening to or watching us on but most importantly share this with a friend just like lois 
She wants to share with you what she's got in her brain. She wants to make your life better. And I know that just by sharing this with one friend that you know would enjoy hearing this, that's going to help us a huge amount as well. And speaking of friends, Lois, what's next yes. week's episode about? Ah, Next week, we're going to talk about making new friends. So please give us um, a quick email with a question Info at silverandsensational.net, and it's it's a .net. It's a little hard to remember, but it's silver and sensational. Oh, not for the email, actually. So the email oh, I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. Silver and sensational. Oh, that's at our website. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah! And you, and so, silver and sensational at gmail.com. That couldn't be easier. Perfect. Okay. So do that. It's on making new friends. So if you suddenly find your life different, you know, you're widowed, you're divorced, you're, you've moved to a new area, or you're just sick of the people that you've had in your life and realize, you know, hell, I need some new friends, send us your questions because I've moved and had to learn how to find new friends, and have I got some stories about what to be careful about? Because you will love to hear what happened. Anyway, everyone, I can't wait to talk to you again. Please stay tuned. Tell your friends if you like what you're seeing, hit the like button, subscribe, share. And I look forward to seeing you again in a week. Bye, everyone. Bye, Lois. Thanks so much. Bye, Jessica. Thank you.